Good morning. There's no place I'd rather be on planet Earth today than right here with you, God's uh, great people. Thank you for the, uh, the warm welcome. It's good to be together. It's not on the screen yet, but it's coming. Hang in there. I think it's coming. Thank you. Well, this morning we have uh, the opportunity to, uh, to look to God's Word, for the Lord to speak to us today on how we can make a difference uh, in our world. And um, I'd like to share with you this morning from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 to 18. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Uh, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, that's a hard one that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world or as stars in the sky, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of, of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with y'all. In Pittsburgh, PA, where I come from, it's Yuns. <laughs> we rejoice with Yuns, with y'all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Pause for a moment for something from our sponsor. <laughs> okay. Wow, these guys are amazing. Don't you just love them? My goodness. Right. Well, a year and a half ago, in August 2021, the unimaginable happened, and the world kind of fell apart, or at least it did for millions of Afghans in, in Afghanistan as the Taliban took over the country. Tens of thousands of Afghans fled, it was chaos. After 20 years of blood and billions of dollars, the investment of lives and attempts to build a country, rebuild a country, it fell apart, seemingly in just a few days. My wife and I had the privilege of serving at one of the military bases as volunteers, a base in Virginia, an old World War II-era army base that uh, then became one of eight reception centers for these refugees. And uh, it seemed hundreds of porta-potties scattered about as, as the buses rolled in with refugees who had just got off the plane, some with just the clothes on their, on their backs, women who were, came from villages, traditional women, who were used to just staying within their, their, their homes, in their compounds, were now 
finding, finding themselves in, in a foreign country, unable to speak the language, many of them un, uneducated. Some of these uh, uh, who came had worked with the military. Some were translators, others were drivers or cooks. Um, and who knows what else they did, but um, others just managed to get on a plane. It was um, pretty chaotic. And so our small team uh, found itself there. Um, at any given time, six to 12 of us, old hands who had worked in Pakistan with Afghan refugees during those years or inside Afghanistan who knew one or another of the major languages, uh, cleared the decks in our, in our schedules and um, volunteered as a team to come in and try to help orient um, these refugees. And so we taught uh, each day, I taught classes on American life, American culture, American law. Um, I tried to tell them this is different than Afghanistan, <laughs> okay? I, I sort of dubbed it 100 ways not to get arrested in America. Um, so you can't beat your wife, like that's really important. You, you can't beat your kids. Um, they would say, well, how else can I get my kids to listen to me? You know, so, well, have you ever heard of a timeout? You know, what's that? You know, so we were trying to help them uh, in this adjustment. Um, by the way, when you get stopped by a policeman, I told them, you don't offer him $20. You can't do that. And your CV, your resume. Um, sometimes, you see, if you took a course in math um, or at, at the university and just stayed six months, you were forever in a day called engineer, Habib, after that. I said, you can't do that here. You have to have like a legit degree, and they look at each other and smile. Just because you took a biology class, you can't call yourself a doctor. You know, things, simple stuff like that. They look at each other and smile. You know, tell the truth. I said, in the date of your birth, it's got to be consistent. You can't change it. You know, chaos. And we see so many evidences of a world that seems to be falling apart. And, of course, then we have Ukraine and all that's happened there. And you look around the world and you see so many things that you can't control. We were little people. We were just volunteers trying to, trying to make a difference. Surrounded, there, there was the military was there, Marines that were, were, were guarding us as we taught our classes. You, know, you don't have any here this morning, I guess unless they're hidden in the back. But, um, and then there's, there was State Department there to make sure that everything looked right, the optics. And you had Homeland Security there to make sure we didn't have riots going on. Uh, we were the only base, actually, that didn't have riots, I think, in part because we had so much prayer going up uh, for us. So many things beyond our control, we were, we were little people. And it's easy to feel that way in, in our world. And if you're a news junkie like me, depending on what you, know, you listen to, you're hearing all of this that just seems incompetent. Uh, it, it seems incompetence in government or things that um, dictators around the world who threaten peace. Um, how can you and I make a difference in a world when so many happenings, so many circumstances and outcomes are beyond our control? In Philippi, this city that Paul wrote to, it was a Roman colony on a major transit route across the Mediterranean. And this Roman colony, it, it, it's, it's kind of like that. It had a military base. These were retired Roman soldiers, and they were all very, very proud of their Roman citizenship and of their loyalty to Caesar, to the government. And uh, their 
here you have a congregation, a church there in Philippi that was also struggling in the face of possible conflict and partisanship within their own church. And Paul writes from a prison a letter of encouragement. They were partners in mission. And may I say thank you to you as a congregation for looking beyond yourselves to try to make a difference in the world beyond your city. Um, You have partnered with many global workers over the years and I commend you for your faithfulness. And you have a love relationship with these that you have sent out and partnered with. That was very much the, the spirit of the Philippian church. Paul loved these folks. He writes with great affection. Any challenges he gives, he gives with great affection and love. And they loved him. So how can we make a difference in in our world? In this chapter, Paul gives four imperatives, or there are four imperatives, four four, uh, commands that can help us to see how we can make a difference in this kind of a world where we don't seem to be in charge and we can't control outcomes. First, he, he, he challenges them to work it out. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's really calling them to obedience in Christ. As a community, the you is plural here. It's interesting, if you reflect on God is at work in you, it means yuns. (laughs) Y'all, he's at work in our midst as a new people of God. And he's always working. Now, he's not saying to work for your salvation. That was a great moment in my own life when I, when I found Christ. But just before I went to university at the University of Illinois in Urbana, outside of Pittsburgh, I used to, I used to take uh, my, my guitar and a notebook and a book of poetry and, and, uh, and a little New Testament. I'd never read it before on my own. This was my last year of high school, and I used to go out across the creek and out in the field and I'd write really sad songs in a minor key because my life was in a minor key, you know, kind of a broken home, and we'd been through a lot. I I tell people, our family was dysfunctional before it was the in thing to be dysfunctional, you know. It's kind of a mess, but um, I love my dad, but, I mean, things were just a mess, you know. But, But then I found Christ, a love that would not go away, a love that would not abandon me. And, uh, I said, God, if you're real, I want to know you. If I can know you, I'll follow you for the rest of my life if I can know you. But I don't want to play religion. Jesus said in John 17, 3, it struck me. He said, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I thought, wow, if you could know God, like as in almighty, you know, if you could know God, that'd be worth everything. And Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3.20, a familiar verse. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll, and I'll eat with him and he with me. That's so personal. What a treasure we have in, in knowing Christ, you see. And Paul is not saying to work for your salvation. It's like the word that's used there is like mining what you already have. It's like mining a treasure. The treasure is there in Christ when you know Christ. And now he's saying, work this out. Live it out. This knowing of of Christ is like a gold mine. 
God, because God is at work in you. God lives in you. Christ said, I'll come in, I'll eat with you. Now, I get that. In our family, it's an Italian heritage, and my dad was born in Italy. My mother was born in Germany, so I'm, I'm strictly speaking half German, but that part of me is repressed. Pardon me. So I talk with my hands, and, you know, I don't speak Italian, but I eat Italian. Hey. So. But, you know, usually if I brought a friend home, within five minutes, Dad would say, hey, you guys hungry? You want something to eat? You know, and he'd say, let me get the pepperoni, get the asiago, you know, get, get the cup of coal, you know, we'd get the fresh bread, you know, and just, and you just pull up a chair. Someone has said that the church should be like a kitchen table. You know, there's, there's just, you know, and my dad asked me once, Lenny, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And I said, well, Dad, it's probably like a kitchen table, you know, it's like a lot of food, you know, a lot of people, a lot of noise. You know, my sisters, they talk in paragraphs, you know, if you don't interrupt, you don't talk, you know, it's just so it's loud. You know, we argue what kind of pasta we're going to have for night, tonight, you know. And, and there's always room for, for one more, you see. That's the treasure we have in Christ, the Christ who lives in us and in us. And he works in us to will, to give us the desire to do God's will and, and the power to do God's will. This is one of the distinctions between the following biblical Christianity and biblical faith. is We have a God in our midst, you see. Within Islam, the focus is on submitting to God, obeying God. It's not on knowing God. It's on obeying God. But, but where do you find the power? They say, Dr. Lana, you Christians really believe in turning the other cheek? They say, you wouldn't get away with that with an Afghan. You hit him on one cheek, you're not going to be on your feet for the next one, you know. You, I said, look, you know, anybody can go out and spend a few rupees on a bullet to kill somebody. It takes real power. Power from God to love. To love even your enemies. You can't do it. I tell them, it's impossible to follow Jesus Christ without the power of God. That's, you follow Christ through the God at work in you by the power of his, his Holy Spirit and we do this, of course, for his good pleasure. It's for his purpose. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. We receive a new desire, a new love. And so we're working out, not working for our salvation, but that God at work in us flows through us. And that leads us, secondly, to walk it out. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And there should be no doubt in our minds that that this world it has become twisted, as beautiful as it is, as God's creation. There are other dynamics at work. One is what the Bible calls sin. It's this phantom particle. It's, it's in all people. It's in every relationship. It affects every structure of society, every relationship, even the most intimate in marriage. There, we're bent. There's a, there's a defilement. There's, the Bible calls it original sin. But we've, it's, it's like inherited. There's a tendency to say no. Anybody babysit a two-year-old recently? You know, you, you just, where do they get this, you know? But it's there. And you tell them, don't, don't touch the TV remote. And they look at you and they smile and the eyes twinkle. And then they do it. You know, what's going on there? Well, there's something within us. And in the cultures of the world, the Afghan culture, beautiful culture. The cultures are very much like lilies on a lily pond. Um, there's beautiful stuff there. That's the lilies. That's the... That's the food and hospitality and, and the music and the poetry and the proverbs, which I studied as part of my research into their culture. And there's great things there. But then, then there's the pond water. 
and it's mucky, and it's green, and smelly, and slimy, and you can't see the bottom. It's impenetrable. As the prophet said, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That's human sin. And a wise is the believer who can see, as they look out upon our world, the beauty of the lilies, but faces the raw reality of human sin. And if you're not convinced of that, number one, look at your own heart. Think what you're capable of apart from Christ. And look at our world. We see the reality. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And Paul calls us here to be a different kind of people because of the life of Christ within us. We've got to walk the talk and watch how we talk. That's where he says, don't do all things without grumbling or complaining, without arguing. Be, be innocent and pure. The image here is of, of wine that's not mixed with, with water or of metal, that it doesn't have alloys uh, mixed in with it. It's pure. And he says, you must shine. You must be luminaries like, like stars in the sky. You, because you are the children of God, you make a difference in your world, in, in, in part by virtue of the contrast with darkness, and in part because of the light, the influence of light in surrounding darkness. So you shine in the midst of the world that God has placed you in. You come with a different passion, a different purpose, with different priorities. You're living life together. In fact, you live as very strange people on planet Earth. You are strangers and foreigners because you do weird stuff like love one another. Who does that? You defer to one another. You, you submit to one another. You honor one another. All the one another's that I understand you've been studying here in the Word of God. That's so different. That's the new society God is creating on planet Earth. It's the people of God. And there's someone who lives in you, willing, who giving you the will and the power to live in this way. So we walk it out in the world and we shine as people who are different. And that helps us not to give way to the partisan politics and the anger and the hostility and the demonizing of the other and all the rest of the attitudes that we see around us. And we develop different be attitudes because of the life of Christ within. Paul goes on, hold it out. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast or holding out or holding forth the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We're holding out the gospel. Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, uses the word gospel more than in any other of his letters. He lived for the sake of the gospel. He lived to advance the gospel. He commended them for their partnership in the gospel. He lived life for the sake of the gospel because this gospel centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And for Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ. To die, that's gain. Why is dying gain? Because for Paul, it meant more of Christ. This was a Christ-centered life. He was fascinated by Christ. And he wanted to live a life that reflected this Christ. Everything was, 
for the sake of Christ. And, and so evangelism, the sharing of faith with neighbors and nations and with nations that have become neighbors, that was a natural kind of thing. And Paul even said, my imprisonment, don't be distressed over this, but it's actually served to advance the gospel. So here he is in prison, and now the whole praetorian guard is hearing about Christ because he's in prison. He was unstoppable, infatigable. That's a big word for this morning. Um, He wanted to advance the gospel of Christ. And this is what's happening around the world and in the midst of what we see in places like Afghanistan um, or in the Middle East, you see the gospel going forth through those who are what we'd call sandals on the ground, who are laboring quietly, or through radio, radio in various languages going in to offer a message of hope to the Afghan people. Bible translations that are so needed among people. Most Muslims have never seen the gospel, have never read the gospel in in their language. Most Muslims are not Arabs, by the way. 80% of Muslims are are not Arabs or not Arabic speaking. So not all Arabs are Muslims and not all Muslims are are, are Arabs. So they need the word of God in their own language. And when we make a Muslim friend, oftentimes we'll invite them to read the scripture for themselves. There's blessing there and so when we were at the, at the fort, uh, at the army base, um, when there was questions, one man came up to me afterwards, very sincere. He said, um, can I speak with you privately? I said, of course. And so we sat outside and he said, oh, your presentation was so good and we're so glad that you came here and you were really helping us. He said, but there, there's just one thing that would make it better. And I said, what's that? He said, if you would become a Muslim, that would be so much better, you know? Now, was interesting. I thanked him because he cared about me. He felt he was caring for my soul, that it would be better for me if I became a Muslim. Now I explained to him why, you know, um, (laughs) what's unique about Christ, and I have forgiveness of sin. I have a Savior. He sacrificed himself on my behalf. I have peace with God. I have answers to prayer through Jesus Christ, and and I have a bridge to paradise. So I don't need anything else, my friend. And so we, t- we had a wonderful chat, but um, he cared for me. Now, I guess I, I want to invite you to care for the souls of those around you. The care of souls, it's, it, that's where God has placed you. So think of evangelism, not, maybe think of yourself not as, do I have to be you know, this witnessing machine or this evangelist? Think of yourself as a chaplain in your world, involved in the care of souls of those around you. I met a, last week I was preaching at a church in Indiana, and I met a, a dentist afterwards, came up, and we had a great chat, and I said, uh, Dr. Mike, how many, how many people do you, do you meet in a week? And he said, oh, maybe about 50 or so. I said, you've got a congregation that changes every week of about 50 people? Do you realize you're, you're touching more people than your pastor does? I said, what if you saw yourself as a chaplain, as a shepherd of souls of those who came to you, at very least, you're praying for them while they're in the chair before you inflict. <laughs> yeah, poor Dennis. I think it's one of the most hated professions. It's really sad because they're lovely people. You know? I don't know if we have any Dennis. I won't out you. But um, after that conversation, I was talking with a fellow who was a truck driver. What a lovely man. I said, uh, call him Charlie. How, how many people do you meet in a week? And he said, oh, probably at least 25 new ones each week. He delivers construction material all around the city. I said, that's amazing. You meet that many people? He said, yeah. He says, I talked to the Lord in my truck. I said, well, that's really great. I said, what if you, what if you shepherded their souls? What if you were, saw yourself as a chaplain, as a shepherd, of, a 
care of souls for those that you meet. You're praying for them and sometimes praying with them. There are those who show up at the work site whose hearts are broken, whose marriages are falling apart. There's sickness. There's been a death in the family. Shepherd their souls. So we care for those um, around us. And finally, we pour it out. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In the Old Testament sacrificial system and also in the pagan sacrifices and pagan world, you'd have a sacrificed animal and or a grain offering and then what they called a drink offering. Now, a drink offering was different. That's where you would take some wine and you pour that around or over the sacrifice and you, you light that flame. Any foodies in the room, what do you call that when you, when you a flambe? Something like that, right? You set it afire, and the alcohol burns off, but it adds flavoring. Paul said, I'm a drink offering upon your sacrificial offering. And Paul then points to four examples, living examples of people who modeled the Christ life, who, who poured it out. One was Timothy. He says of Timothy, he said, I have no one like him who is concerned for your welfare. Do you know any people that are like that you could say, wow, Man, I know John, there's no one like him as a living example. Or Epaphroditus, he commends Epaphroditus who represented the Philippians and brought a gift to to Paul when he got sick. And and, and he says of Epaphroditus, he said, he risked his life. Do you know people like that? Who's been the most influential person in, in your life? Can you think of someone you know who's, or have known, who has modeled the Christ life that... You think, boy, there's no one like them. They believed in me. They loved on me. They poured themselves out for me. When I was in, I think of folk, a pastor who, who believed in me when I was, I wasn't doing anything. I think of churches who've partnered with us for 40 years. I think, who am I? I didn't do anything to deserve that. I don't deserve it. But they've loved in that kind of way and modeled the Christ life. And then Paul points to himself. He's able to say, if I'm, poured out as a drink offering, it's, it's, it's okay. He points to himself that in the midst of adversity, sitting in a prison, facing either relief or death, to live as Christ, he says uh, elsewhere in the letter. And then he finally, he points to Jesus Christ. And this, the paragraph we've been looking at this morning follows upon that great passage, verses 1 to 11 in Philippians 2, where one of the greatest statements of theology of who is Jesus Christ in the whole of the New Testament, that though he was in the, in the form of God, he, he did not e- consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, grasped either to reach out for and get a hold of or something to hold on to for himself. Basically, he's saying... Christ did not live a selfish life, even as God, but a selfless life. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. Took on the form of a servant. Became obedient, even unto death. Death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and raised him up and gave him the name above every other name, which is, by the way, not the name Jesus. It's the name Lord. That's the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus... You'd think, Lord, he's Lord. That every tongue confess, every knee bow and tongue confess that 
In the Greek, it's the Lord. It's not Nero. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus Christ. And that's how you can walk through a dark and crooked world with things on upended in Congress and in, uh, all, you know, in Washington. If you're looking to Washington or government to solve the problems, you're looking to the wrong place. And if you're looking to the news to explain things to you, you're looking to the wrong place. When you read the Bible, God can handle Pharaohs. He can handle Nebuchadnezzars. He can handle King Herod's. He can handle all of these supposed greats of our world because he's the king and he's the Lord of lords. And so we can live, we're called to live a life that is like Christ. And and Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ from the power of his resurrection to the fellowship of his suffering. It's going to cost you to follow Christ. But we live a poured out life because we know the one who is Lord. I'll end with this. This is... uh, It's actually a a, a grainy photo of a grainy photo that's in my office. It used to hang in our living room. I told you we were dysfunctional. That's not really that beautiful. It's a bridge. My dad uh, worked for Alcoa Aluminum and various engineering companies near near Pittsburgh. So I was was raised around the engineering world. It's problem solving, designing things, and all of that. Big Lenny, little Lenny. I was supposed to, destined to be an engineer. I never completed that uh, degree. I went a different direction. But I said, Dad, I'm still doing bridges, you know. Um, just a different kind of bridge, but this is one that my father worked on, and I have the original sketches and the blueprints from it. Um, it's precious to me because of my father's hand in it. It's not architecturally great, but it's, it's, a, it's a highway bridge. But for me, it has a lot of meaning. Number one, take a look, as you look at this, you see they're lifting into place a girder, an I-beam, that's going to connect both sides. But notice you've got a crane on both sides of the bridge. Oh, and that reminds me that whatever I see in my world, that God is at work on the other side of the bridge. He's preparing hearts. He's preparing the hearts of people that you are going to meet this week. Think of all the people you're going to meet in the grocery store and in the coffee shop and wherever it is. Those are people whose hearts God has prepared. At very least, you are called to pray for them and bless them, either with them or for them. God is at work on the other side of the bridge. That's, how, that's why we can go into the hard places of our world, the dark and broken places, because God is already at work on the other side of the bridge. Second, you see that girder coming into place that's going to connect, that final girder is going to connect both sides. And that's you. That's your life, your words, your testimony, your acts of kindness, your prayers. Your presence, you could be that final connecting point in someone's life to connect them with God, with the God who loves them so much that he gave a son who poured himself out on the cross, self-sacrifice for us and our salvation. That's your life. And finally, of course, that final girder is, well, that's Jesus, isn't it? The Bible says that God is one and one also, one is the mediator between God and man in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And I've had the privilege and the joy of sharing that message with thousands of Muslims in gentle ways, in kind ways, because I care about their souls. The bridge to paradise for a Muslim is thinner than a human hair, sharper than a sword, and beneath it are the fires of hell. Polisirat, they call it. That's not a very hopeful bridge. But I say there's another bridge. And it's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who would believe in his cross, his sacrifice. You will 
when you die, you will be in one leap in the presence of God. And your prayers in the now in one leap are before his throne through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We make a difference in our world. Shine, friends, without fear, without grumbling, without complaining. Allow the Lord to shine through your life for the sake of others. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for finding us. I can't thank you enough for finding me. Who am I, Lord? That you would allow me to go to the nations and to represent you before people who have never heard your gospel. Who are we, Lord, that we can sit here together and sing with joy of our salvation? And yet there are so many sheep that are not of this fold. Them also you want to bring. So give us a heart, Lord, that is filled with faith in our God who reigns on the throne, not, not living in fear in our day. Give us a heart that treasures the gospel. Give us a heart that embraces Christ. I want to know Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's worth more than anything else. And may we offer that to the world around us for your glory.